Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He's Mike McDaniel, uh, or at least he was the last time he went to sleep. Uh, that seems to have been a while ago. Uh, Mike, are you hanging in there? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, Thanksgiving was good. Um, I haven't slept since, it feels like, but Thanksgiving was good. It was relaxing while it lasted. How was yours? Oh, it was pretty solid. I, I, I kept up my promise. Uh, I did not run a single step of that 5K Thanksgiving Good. morning. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> I drank, and I slept, and I ate, and it was a good weekend. I can't complain. Hope everyone else had a, a good weekend. Uh, hope your Black Fridays were uh, full of nonviolence, because if they were full of violence, you did not do your duties, because we did not get any videos on Twitter of uh, people fighting. So, um Hopefully that went well for you. Hope everybody got some good shopping done. Um, Mike, we are we are running a little bit late with this uh, recap show here, but we had a, a lot of good ACC action here to, to talk about, so uh, we might run through this a little quickly, just make sure that we've got something, and then we'll, uh, we've got a lot more stuff to talk about uh, in our preview show, namely the, the all-ACC teams coming out, but uh, we'll get to that here a little later this week. Uh, but for now, let's start with our Week 13 recap here. Uh, first and foremost, we'll start with the game that was played on Black Friday. Uh, the NC State Wolfpack go on the road to Chapel Hill, and they knock off the North Carolina Tar Heels 28-21. This was an interesting game in that uh, North Carolina needed to win it to f- kind of still have a chance to win the Coastal, depending on the outcome of the Virginia Tech game the following day. Um and they did not get it done. NC State went into this game and just took it to the Tar Heels. Um, they, I mean, they ran the ball really well in this game. Uh, they, North Carolina had to kind of make a, a late push, but NC State was in control really from the start. They kind of broke out all the stops, had a couple of gadget plays thrown in there. Uh, this was a really, really good win here for, for NC State, Mike. It was, and they ran the ball really well in this game, too. Uh, Matt Days going over 100 yards, a couple touchdowns. Jalen Samuels actually had a touchdown run from the H-back position slash tight end, wherever he lines up at more often. Um, he had a touchdown run. Um, he also had a touchdown yeah, also, pass. Yeah, I was going to say, he also threw a touchdown pass, so it was an eventful day for Jalen Samuels. Um, Ryan Finley... Pretty pedestrian, 11 of 18, 151, but he didn't throw any interceptions, so that's always good. Um, NC State's defense really solid in this game. They kind of just pressured the North Carolina offense all day long. Um, North Carolina never really seemed to get a ton going on offense. Mitch Trubisky threw for 280 yards and three touchdowns, but you know when you consider how those touchdowns occurred, I mean, Trubisky's day was not anything to write home about. I mean, I don't think he played particular, particularly well in this game. Um, they didn't run the ball well. Elijah Hood only had 56 yards rushing. He was the leading ball carrier. Mitch Trubisky right behind him actually had nine carries for 55 yards. He was running for his life for a majority of the game. Um, just really impressed with NC State's defense. Um, you know, they for the most part, they were able to hold down a lot of North Carolina's receivers, except for Ryan Switzer, who just continued to light the world on fire. 13 catches, 171, and one touchdown on his senior day, um, continuing his fantastic season, his best season yet at North Carolina. Uh, he was electric, and he played most of that second half hurt. I mean, he was really banged up coming in and out of the game, but he continued to get that foot issue taken care of and get back out um, on the field. And 
it seemed like he was coming out almost every other play, but when he was in, he was still making plays even when he was at less than 100% in the second half. So he kept them in it, but NC State, I mean, really, really impressive. They went up at one point. It was 28-7 in this game uh, pretty decisively in NC State's favor. North Carolina was throwing the football a ton in the second half to try to get back in it, and they did, but um, just too much NC State on this day. I think, you know, if there's one story of this game, it has to be the North Carolina State defense and the pressure they were able to put on Mitch Trubisky and company. Um, and, and really, outside of Ryan Switzer, um, NC State really shut down North Carolina in this game. I think that's the story more than anything else. I, I would totally agree. We talked on the preview show about how uh, we kind of expected NC State to come out here and make a last stand in a, in a little bit of a rivalry game and in a... Uh, a spot where they needed one more win to really secure their bowl eligibility, and and that's what we got out of them. Um, like I said, I mean they jumped on North Carolina in this game. It was fourteen nothing after the first quarter. Um, it really only after nine snaps from NC State. I mean they they luckily they got a turnover on North Carolina's second drive of the game, and so basically in nine plays they scored two touchdowns, um, went over a hundred yards in those nine plays. So a really strong start. Uh, they threw in another five-play, 80-yard drive to get up to 21 to nothing. Uh, North Carolina manages a touchdown before the half. NC State misses a field goal before the half and then comes out of halftime and scores again. Um, North Carolina tried a, an onside kick out of halftime, didn't get it, and NC State took it from there. Um, so th- this was a huge day for, for NC State. They, they played really well at a time when their backs were against the wall. They really did, like you mentioned, they shut down that North Carolina offense. Uh, really not something we're used to seeing from North Carolina, but they struggled to get moving and struggled to keep moving. Uh, I would emphasize here as a, a bit of a theme as we've talked about on this show, Elijah Hood comes back with a whopping 11 carries on the day. Give the ball to Elijah Hood, North Carolina. Give him the football. Yeah, give him the football. Feed that man, give him the ball, and you didn't do it, and you kind of haven't done it all year. Uh and it cost you. I still don't really get it. I mean, I feel like we've talked about this at length, and we're kind of beating the dead horse at this point, but just give Elijah Hood the football. I don't really understand what Larry Fedora has against running the ball. He just wants to throw it 30,000 times a game. Um, it doesn't always work. It didn't work against NC State. I mean, you've got to have some sort of running game, and you know, Elijah Hood had a decent day put together. I mean, it, it's not like he wasn't running the ball effectively when he had it in his hands. They just chose not to. And, you know, with Elijah Hood, I mean, you do have a threat in the passing game um, with him as well. I mean, he's a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield. But it just doesn't seem like they make getting him the ball a priority, which I don't really, um, I, I don't really understand because it seems like when he's more involved – and see, uh, North Carolina wins more often than not. And when he's not as involved, the offense isn't playing as efficiently as it probably should, and they're generally losing more often than not. So not getting Elijah Hood the ball, I think, has been the Achilles heel, Achilles heel of Larry Fedora for the past few years, really. Um, I mean, North Carolina could have had an undefeated season last year going into the ACC championship game uh, if, if they gave Elijah Hood the ball in the opener and then it seems to have carried over to this season um, with a couple of bad losses they've suffered. Um, just not getting their playmakers more involved, it just really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But I guess when you have all the receivers they have on the outside, it's easy to fall in love with the passing game. Wolfpack, big winners here, 28-21 over North Carolina. UNC finishes at 8-4. and four. Not really what they were looking for. They were probably hoping for a little bit of a stronger finish here, losing two of their last three. 
uh, including both their last conference games against rivals uh, at Duke and home against NC State. So not great for Larry Fedora. Uh, but that was really the big upset within the conference all day, Mike. Uh, well, until we get to our last conference game, which was also a bit of an upset, but we'll get there. Uh, there was another upset that was not necessarily a, a conference game necessarily. It was an out-of-conference rivalry. That was my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets on the road. 28-27 winners over Georgia. This was uh, clean old-fashioned hate, Mike, or as I'm starting to call it, clean old-fashioned anxiety. Um, there is no watching this game with like calm nerves without the aid of like bourbon, uh, as I found out. So... Um, <laughs> Always helps. Yeah, uh, I, I drank an obscene amount of bourbon during this game, um, and it worked. Team won. Um, yeah, Georgia Tech goes into the fourth quarter down 13 points. Um, they go uh, they go turnover on downs um, early in the fourth quarter, and it seemed like that was basically going to be it. Defense gets a huge stop, three and out, force a punt. They go seven plays, 94 yards, and a touchdown, including two huge passes from Justin Thomas to Brad Stewart and Quay Searcy. Uh, a few plays later, they finish that off with a touchdown. A few plays later, Georgia's got the ball back. They're trying to get a little bit of movement going so they can kind of kill the clock. Jacob Eason throws an errant pass. It's tipped, intercepted by Lance Austin. And Georgia Tech from there basically kills the clock, and with about 30 seconds left, uh, there was a... Potential, you know, toss play to the A-back throwback to the quarterback that Quay Cersei saw Georgia's defense figured out what was going on, and he just tucked it and ran up and jumped in between about five Georgia defenders and got through all of them. Scores and puts Georgia Tech over the top, 28-27. Um, huge win in this rivalry for Georgia Tech. Second straight win in Athens, actually. Um, the defense, again, really struggled out of the gate here. Um, this... <laughs> The defensive scheme, I mean, same old story, um, really struggled out of the gate, but uh, tightened up after halftime, uh, and especially in times when it counted. And so um, really big win for Georgia Tech here. And, uh, yeah, I need to go back and rewatch this game to make sure I got some of the details down, Mike. It was never really in doubt, Joey, you know, <laughs> right? Um, hey, man, if you just listened to me last week when I told you that Georgia Tech would be just fine, then you would have been able to lay off the bourbon a little bit, right? Isn't that how it works? Yeah. If I, if um, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you you just about covered it. Um, but I want to talk about Justin Thomas, the passer, real quick. Because you've been harping on this all year, and I've Hell just recently yeah. gotten on the bandwagon. Uh, admittedly, I saw none of this game live. I actually went back and, and re-watched uh, parts of it. Justin Thomas, the passer, is a pretty complete player when he's when he's on he's throwing the football well I mean he's he's something I mean he runs the ball obviously incredibly well he's elusive um, and he's growing into a much better passer than definitely that I mean you can talk to this more than I can but when he first got to Georgia Tech he was not the passer that he is now I mean he's definitely made strides in that department and um, that's a testament to Paul Johnson and what his offensive coaching staff has has done from a development standpoint with him uh, throwing the football I mean it's not the main part of their offense obviously more of the offense is predicated on on the read on the read option in the run game but the way that he's thrown the ball I think um Paul Johnson and his coaching staff deserve a lot of credit and their you know his throwing ability is a big reason why Georgia Tech um why Georgia Tech's eight and four I mean there were some points in that game on Saturday 
where you look at it, Georgia Tech, you know, they're struggling a little bit to run the football. So all of a sudden you have a couple of quick passes from Justin Thomas, and then you're sitting there and all of a sudden the running game looks like it's opening up a bit more. I mean, that's what Georgia Tech's offense does. They lull you to sleep with that option. And then every once in a while they'll complete a pass on you to keep you honest. They'll reopen that running game up when they're struggling. I thought that was a big part of the game on Saturday and a big reason why Georgia Tech was able to win the game. So that was my big takeaway from it. Um, Clinton Lynch, he's he's been really good this year. He hasn't really gotten enough credit. Um, there are a lot of good running backs in the ACC, and I think Clinton Lynch is really starting to come into his own, and he's developed into a really nice player for Georgia Tech in that offense. It'll be exciting to see what he does in the bowl game. Um, he's developed into one of the more reliable backs in that offense. Um, other than that, it's the same old story for Georgia. I mean, Jacob Eason throws a couple interceptions, and you alluded to this when we were previewing this game. Joey, you know, we were talking about how Jacob Eason, he's been really good, but he's been good for a freshman. I mean, he's still a freshman, makes a lot of mistakes, and we saw that again on Saturday. Georgia Tech's defense has played really well um, for the better part of the last month or so, um, and, and they forced Georgia into a couple turnovers there on Saturday that really end up being the difference in the game. Um, and then, you know, from a from a running standpoint, I mean, Sonny Michelle had a nice game, but, I mean, Nick Chubb, he's a guy that got all the hype in the world. You and I gave him a ton of love in the preseason when we were actually previewing uh, the opener between North Carolina and Georgia. We were talking about, well, if Nick Chubb plays, because you remember he was recovering from his knee injury, we were saying, if Nick Chubb plays, you know, this is one of the most dynamic running backs in the country and the offensive line at Georgia this year has been so bad nobody has heard from him at all and Nick Chubb you know you remember how good he was and they got a nice stable there with Michelle and um and Nick Chubb but neither of them have really had a strong season just because the offensive line's been so bad for Georgia so that's something you'll definitely have to clean up moving forward but it's a really good win for Georgia Tech I I think it is so telling Mike you talk about Nick Chubb the the level of pedestrian that he has looked this year, I mean, his level of talent is right up there with your Leonard Fournette's, your Dalvin Cooks, your Elijah Hoods, you know, any of them. And the level of pedestrian that he has looked is, is a real kind of testament to how bad Georgia's offensive line has been. Uh, other thing I wanted to mention that you were talking about was Justin Thomas, the passer. Um, you, you were spot on that he, he really has evolved as a passer uh, these last few years. In his sophomore year, when they won the Orange Bowl in 2014, he he was passing effectively, but it needs to be stated that he was throwing the ball to DeAndre Smelter and Darren Waller, a couple of guys who ended up getting drafted. Um, those guys left, and in the time since, he's kind of done a much better job of kind of spreading the ball out and finding the open person rather than that one receiver you can always lock into and they'll go get the ball. So uh, Justin Thomas, a, a brief summary of his passing in this game, uh, at least in the first half, Justin Thomas pass complete to Brad Stewart for 64 yards. Uh, Justin Thomas pass complete to Marcus Marshall for 11 yards. Pass complete to J.J. Green for 11 yards. Uh, and then he had a pass intercepted less than a minute before halftime that kind of more functioned as an arm punt. Uh, but he had these... Arm punt, nice. Oh, yeah. It, well, basically, I mean, it was third and long, and they threw it, it like deep into the red zone, and it was, and it was, it was picked. So, so stuff happened. But um, he, yeah, I mean, so that's the big thing is getting those chunk plays when he is throwing it, and that's that's been a huge thing that I think a lot of people are kind of underrating, and it's probably honestly the difference between eight and four Georgia Tech and like possibly not bowl eligible Georgia Tech. So, yep. Um, big year for him, but yeah, 
Huge one for uh, for Georgia Tech and for the ACC over the SEC. Um, that leaves the uh, the ACC undefeated on the week because Louisville did not screw it up against Kentucky. Oh. oh, wait a second. Damn it, Mike. First of all, 28-27 Georgia Tech over Georgia. Oh, yeah. Uh, Louisville, after kind of falling apart on national television uh, a little over a week beforehand, they hosted the Kentucky Wildcats, and they kind of fell apart again. Um they led 24-21 to 21 at halftime. Lamar Jackson looked pretty good. He had, you know, a whole bunch of yards, a whole bunch of touchdowns. He had four touchdowns on the day and about over 400 yards of offense. So can't complain except for the fact that he also uh, had three picks and he had a crucial fumble late in the game. Uh, most importantly, this game was tied at 38. And uh, Louisville drives it down into the red zone. Uh they had the ball inside the 10, first and goal, with a minute 45 left. Lamar Jackson kind of running around, trying to dodge traffic, and ends up dropping the ball. Whoops. Whoops. And Kentucky picks the ball up. They drive a few plays down to uh, the Louisville 29-yard line, kick a game-winning field goal. And that was all she wrote, Mike. Kentucky 41, Louisville 38. Th- that is a hell of a collapse for Louisville. From where they were two weeks ago. Their defense was just atrocious for the better part of this game. And, uh, you know, I think a little bit of oversight on both of our parts. I mean, neither of us are really sure how good Kentucky was. I'm still not really sure how good they are. But I'll tell you what, Louisville, right after the Houston game, and, and we saw this on Saturday, I mean, as soon as they lost to Houston, the defense, I mean, really collectively as a team, I mean, Lamar Jackson did play well in the first half, but I think collectively we can agree that Louisville has kind of checked out. I mean, once they lost to Houston, they knew they weren't going to be in the playoff anymore. What bowl game they went to didn't really matter to them, it seems like. And they didn't really come out focused in a rivalry game against Kentucky. I think they figured they could roll the helmets out and beat them by a couple touchdowns. I thought they might be able to cover in this game. I mean, they, they were a three-touchdown favorite. I just didn't know really enough about Kentucky, and I don't think anybody really covering Kentucky knows a lot about them. I mean, they've been a team that's so up and down. They're a team that's really hard to figure out. I mean, they're basically the Duke of the SEC, I think we can argue, in in that nobody really understands how good they are. I mean, I'm not talking from a record perspective. Obviously, Kentucky's record's better than Duke's, but I'm talking from the standpoint of we don't really know what we're getting on a week-to-week basis with Kentucky, and uh, in so much as we weren't really understanding what we were getting with Duke when we preview them every week. That's what we kind of keep coming back to is we don't really know what we're getting with Duke. So I guess a little bit of oversight on our part for not giving Kentucky enough credit. Lamar Jackson, you know, obviously the one crucial turnover at the end. We had a couple other, you know, the couple other turnovers in this game. He was a, you know, he's a guy that looked like he was running away with the Heisman Trophy. I said basically um, the last weekend in October after we had that massive, um, one of his final massive games, basically, of the regular season. I basically told you, I was like, you know, is it possible to wrap up the Heisman in October? Because he's done it. I think he's still, despite having some down performances over the past couple of weeks, obviously he struggled against Houston as well. It doesn't really matter because there's nobody really in the same neighborhood. I mean, you got some people trying to hype up um, Deshaun Watson at Clemson. Jabril Peppers, I think, would have gotten a little bit more steam if Michigan had knocked off Ohio State over the weekend. Um, there's just nobody really there to compete with Lamar Jackson for the Heisman. And Jackson's body of work um, 
through the first, I don't know, what, eight or nine weeks of the year was just so strong compared to everybody else. He was so far out in front for the Heisman. You talked about the Heisman odds. I mean, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to imagine anybody else really competing for the thing, let alone winning it. And I think we're still in that, we're still in that place right now, even with Lamar Jackson struggling over the last couple of weeks. There's just nobody who's really stepped up and has been that de facto second guy that we've seen in recent years that can really compete for the Heisman Trophy. This is an absolute runaway. It's going to be one of the, one of the bigger blowouts for the Heisman that I remember in quite some time. Um, but, I mean, the bottom line is Louisville couldn't get the team win against Kentucky. They've really just checked out my book defensively. It was a nightmare all day. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the throw. Play action pass killed them all day long. Didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I, I think Louisville just kind of, you know, mentally checked out. I mean, I think they're more talented than Kentucky. They just couldn't get it done. I think you hit the nail on the head saying that they weren't focused here. Kentucky scored five touchdowns in this game. Can you guess, Mike, how many of those touchdowns were by less than 30 yards? Uh, two. One. One. <laughs> Kentucky had touchdowns of a 75-yard pass, a 36-yard run, a 63-yard pass, an 18-yard run, and a 35-yard pass. Like, Kentucky was just scoring on big plays left and right, and I think that's how you know that Louisville was not focused in this game on defense for their part, I mean, Kentucky now at 7-5, and five, they've played really well, honestly, kind of over the last, uh, about, honestly, the last half of the year. Um, basically, they've won five of their last seven games. Their only losses were a three-point loss to Georgia and a 13-point loss at Tennessee. Um, I mean, they've been, they've been better. They've been fine. Um, but for what Louisville's been, this should have been a, a big win for Louisville, and it just wasn't. And, I mean, that's a bad look for them and I think it's honestly I think it's going to end up costing them a, a New Year's Six Bowl and I think it's going to end up propelling Florida State into that role yep no I think so too especially when you consider how well Florida State has played um, over the last few weeks um, they, they've really been improving football team on both sides of the ball whereas you're seeing a complete regression out of Louisville especially the last two weeks definitely Kentucky 41 Louisville 38 Mike you want to just talk Florida State now yeah let's do it Florida State 31, Florida 13. Uh, this game played out largely how we kind of told you it would. Um, Florida basically had no mechanism for scoring in this game. Um, That'll be a problem against Bama, huh? Yeah, they come away with 207 yards of total offense against a, uh, a, a good Florida State defense. Maybe not great, but certainly good. Uh, Florida State goes in and just takes care of business. They put up 387 on uh, a really good Florida defense. Dalvin Cook has a hell of a day, 26 carries, 153 yards, and a touchdown. That's now three straight excellent, excellent performances against Florida for him in his career. Uh, DeAndre Francois was fine, 15-26, 138, a touchdown, and a pick. Uh, that's basically what we said. You know, he had to kind of not lose the game and kind of facilitate the game, and that was fine. Uh, low scoring, Florida did score a touchdown. It was a, a defensive touchdown. Of, yeah, a fumble return for a touchdown. Um, that's no surprise. I think it's now they've scored two offensive touchdowns in the last four games against Florida State. That's, I think I saw that stat somewhere. Yep. Uh, so this was really just a, a kind of as expected big win for Florida State. It was only 10-3 at halftime, but Florida State pulls away in the second half for a 31-13 win over their in-state rivals. Yeah, Appleby couldn't do anything at quarterback for Florida. That was kind of the story of the game. I mean, Del Rio, Appleby, you name it. They don't have a quarterback that can complete a pass to a wide receiver, and that's going to be a big-time problem in the SEC championship game. Uh, Florida 
didn't really look like one of the better teams in the SEC um, in that game on Saturday. And believe it or not, they are, but they are also playing in one of the worst divisions in college football in the SEC East. Florida State defense, obviously a big story here. They played as well as we were um, expecting them to. Uh, DeAndre Francois, another decent game. Dalvin Cook running the football, obviously. Just a really good win for Florida State. Um, Florida actually hung around for a little while in this game. I mean, it took it took a little while for Florida State to really pull away. Um, but once they did in the second half, there was really no shot uh, of Florida getting back into it just because their offense is so inept. And we're going to see more of the same, I'm afraid, on Saturday out of the Gators when they play in the SEC championship against Bama. Um, from Florida State's standpoint, you know, to your point, I think they are making a case for New Year's Six Bowl game. Um, the only way, in my opinion that they don't get the New Year's Six is if some craziness happens on Saturday um, in the ACC championship game. You know, if Virginia Tech upsets Clemson, all of a sudden you have two teams likely to be in the New Year's Six with both of them. And then Florida State, that's a scenario where they could be left out. Um, but if Clemson takes care of business against Virginia Tech, I'd anticipate Florida State getting that New Year's Six spot over a team like Louisville. Uh, when you're considering at-large teams from the ACC. So to your point, I think that Florida State has put themselves in an excellent position moving forward to get themselves um, into a big-time bowl game, even though the season obviously didn't go the way they wanted to. Yeah, 9-3 for Florida State. I, I was talking to Bud Elliott on Twitter about this a little bit. He's SB Nation's Florida State guy and his recruiting guy. Um, and and he kind of made the point that for Florida State and as as talented of a program as they are, you know, a nine and three season is typically going to be a disappointment, you know, either way. Um, and and I mean, I think that really you look at how close they were after getting blown out by Louisville. Here's what Florida State has done: big win at USF, two point loss to North Carolina, win against Miami, win against Wake. Three-point loss to Clemson, win against NC State, win against Boston College, win against Syracuse, win against Florida. Like, there's two close losses and a whole bunch of wins, and, and mostly in convincing fashion. Yep. Like, I mean, if, if this is as bad as a 9-3 season gets as a Florida State fan, like, I think you got to be pretty happy with that. I'd have to think. Yeah, I mean, the state of your program is, I mean, you're in a pretty good spot. Also, Jimbo Fisher is not leaving, by the way. So unless I just jinxed it, um, obviously uh, Orgeron stays at LSU. Tom Herman goes to Texas. Jimbo Fisher was really only being talked about in consideration for the LSU job, and that kind of went down the tubes on Saturday. And then Florida State just went out and blew out their in-state rival Florida in his honor. So uh, Jimbo <laughs> Fisher sticking around. I'm not really sure how um, how credible that stuff was. I mean, there were a lot of rumors swirling potentially about Jimbo leaving, but um, the fact that he's staying at Florida State, obviously, I'm not really sure how close it was to happening with him leaving. But the fact that he'll stay now with Florida State and they got, you know, the great recruiting pipeline. Obviously, they get the top athletes out of Florida every uh, year in and year out. Um, and, and they just, you know, Jimbo's an excellent recruiter. His staff does a great job. And they got one of the top, you know, three or four classes in the country, it seems like, every year. So I don't know. I mean, I think. You know, to your point, nine and three with a couple of close losses. I mean, I think you'll take it if that's going to be considered a down year at Florida State. And a freshman quarterback to boot. Yeah, no kidding. And he's and he's improving too. I mean, he's a guy that you know, second half of the year really, really come on. And he had a couple of nice moments there um, in the early part of the season, namely in the opener against Ole Miss. I mean, that was obviously um, what he, what Francois was able to do in the second half, but. 
he really started to get consistent um, in October, and you've seen that now throughout November. He's he's really starting to settle in at the quarterback position at Florida State, which is going to be nice for them moving forward. Yeah, I I, I mean, I think that the uh, the Jameis Winston comparisons that he drew preseason might have been a little premature, um, but that doesn't mean he's bad by any means, and it's he has really done a lot of developing through the year and, and kind of sets up to uh, lead that program moving forward. It's a high bar also, Jameis Winston. I mean, geez, he only put together one of the greatest statistical passing seasons in college football history um, and at Florida State the year they won the title there a few years back. So, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, when, when you're compared to a guy who set all sorts of school records and was setting statistical records and passing efficiency and doing everything that he did, not only at Florida State but on the national scale, uh, the quarterback position. I mean, that's that's good company to be in if you're even mentioning the same breath. And I'm, you know, it was, you know, high praise and maybe a high bar set. But uh, we're starting to see him play a little bit more like the hype that he garnered early in the season. Kind of hard to knock him for not winning a freshman Heisman and going and winning a national title and then becoming a number one pick in the NFL draft. That, yeah, that's kind of high standards. So high standards. You can still be good without doing that stuff. So. Uh, but big win for Florida State here, 31-13 over in-state rival Florida. Um, apparently, Florida's not much for scoring points, Mike, but I know who, a couple teams who are. Um, it's actually the uh, – it was a basketball game, I think, that took place at the Carrier Dome on Saturday. Uh, the Pitt Panthers go in and, and apparently really caught fire from three-point range um, and really locked Syracuse down late from the perimeter. Uh, the Panthers come back big, 76-61 winners over the Orange – uh, a solid performance. I, I'm a little surprised they're starting conference play here in basketball season already. Um, wh- what was your big takeaway here from this game, Mike? Um, I've played better defense in video games. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't oh, wait, know. Look, holy crap, this is a football game. I, yeah. I mean, 137 by my math. That's correct. Um, FPS record for most points in a regulation game. I mean, it's... Didn't even go to overtime. I know. No, it was it was wild. Defense was just piss poor. I, I wish I could describe it any you know a little bit better than that. But the defense was just so bad on both sides. I mean, Syracuse's defense has been pretty bad all year, but Pittsburgh's defense. I mean, you're giving up 61 points to Syracuse, who's playing without their quarterback, Eric Dungey. That made ah, it made no sense. It was one of these go ACC games. Um, you know, if you had to pick one, only an ACC game would you find two schools who offensively, uh, people are going to yell at us on Twitter for this, but offensively, like when you're considering juggernaut offenses in the ACC, Pittsburgh still doesn't come to mind. I don't care if you're mad that we call them quietly explosive. You know why we call them quietly explosive? Because Caudry Henderson, outside of James Conner, is the only playmaker they have. If you take away Caudry Henderson, Pittsburgh is Duke. Their offense is exactly like Duke. They have a real. They have good running back, and that's it. They don't have any receivers. That's if you take Caudry Henderson out of the fold. All he does is return kicks and punts and do crazy stuff in the reverse game on offense. If you take those two players away, what is Pittsburgh? I'm sick of hearing about Nate Peterman too. God, Nate Peterman, guy is unbelievable, right? He comes out and he he has like two good games. Everybody wants to crown him the best quarterback in the ACC. Get the hell out of here with Nate Peterman. He's a fine player. But that offense outside of Caudry Henderson is really nothing. I mean, you got James Conner, you got a decent offensive line, and you got Caudry Henderson, and that's it. You got, like, two decent players on offense. 
a mediocre quarterback and an average to above average offensive line depending on the week. Defense needs to get better though. Pat Narduzzi, man, you come from Michigan State where you have one of the top defenses in the Big Ten and you come to Pitt and you've had the worst secondary in the conference arguably for the last two years. It makes zero sense to me how Pittsburgh's defense could be this bad. Give up 61 points to a backup quarterback at Syracuse, get out of here. That's how I feel about that. Damn. You've been holding back these hot Pittsburgh takes on me, Mike. Where have these been? I'm just sick of hearing about Nate Peterman. <laughs> so sick of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, for his part in this game, 9 of 18 for 251 and four touchdowns and a pick. Um, nine, of, I guess. 9 of 18 for 251. You know what we call that? That's like three or four Hail Marys. Like, yeah, that's true. Break. I mean, it's a couple big hitting plays in the passing game. This is true. He also had six carries for 79 yards and a touchdown. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he was good. I mean, it's it's hard not to be good when you're going up against a defense like Syracuse is putting out there. Um, I could have gone 9 of 18. I want to. I got to point out here, Mike, so there were 20 touchdowns in this game, um, which is crazy. Uh, Pittsburgh, on their own, had 10 of those touchdowns. They scored 10 touchdowns on 59 snaps. 59 offensive snaps to score 10 touchdowns, which is crazy. Uh, they they do have like a I – mean, we've talked about this. They have a funky offense, a lot of smoke and mirrors and misdirection and such. And I mean, call it what you will, but it's effective. Like it works, and it's put up a lot of points this year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, t- really just leaning on two major playmakers here in James Conner and Quadri Henderson. Uh, sometimes Quadri Allison, but he didn't really even make any sort of impact in this game. Uh, Zach Mahoney, okay, now this is a fair criticism, is when Zach Mahoney is, like, shredding your defense, 43 of 61 for 445 touchdowns and a pick, dude, come on. Yep. Like, the, the Zach Mahoney, uh, the uh, uh, Alex Moran, uh, you know, in real life guy, like, come on now. Um, don't let that guy throw for 440 and five touchdowns and then also score two more touchdowns on the ground, like... Be better. Ambed Atawo, though, in fairness, 13 catches, 178 yards, and five touchdowns. That guy caught five touchdowns in the game by himself. I know we're kind of uh, – it's foreshadowing of our all-ACC discussion we're going to have in the preview, but Ambed Atawo essentially got himself locked into first-team all-ACC off of this performance in the last week of the regular season. He good. Yeah, no, he's, he's been really good all year, but when you score five touchdowns in your season finale, yeah. Lock him up. This game was absurd, Mike. There were 81 points between the two teams just after halftime. Yeah, that's yeah, it's insane. And here I was telling you that the uh, point total of 69 might have been a little high in the game. They covered that in just the second half. Oh my god. Good grief. Yeah, this was a this was a ridiculous football game. If we didn't make that clear, this is a football game. Um, but it definitely got a lot of ACC basketball mentions on Twitter of. My goodness. I mean, not to mention it's played in a carrier dome where Syracuse also plays basketball. So that certainly uh, adds a little extra extra element of uh, interest here. But, yeah, 76-61, to 61, Pittsburgh winners uh, in a wild shootout kind of game. Um, but seriously, both these defenses, they've got to be better here. I just play some defense. I mean, uh, do better. trying at this point? Dupe, I mean, lucky for Syracuse, they don't have to play anymore this year. But 
Um, I mean, win all. yeah, maybe Pitt will do what they did last year in the military bowl where they were like, ah, oh, we don't like the bowl game we're going to, so we're just going to lay an egg. I mean, if Pittsburgh does that again this year, you have to question whether or not Pat Narduzzi is the right guy for the job, believe it or not. I'm, I'm saying that. That's another hot take. At least get a, at least figure something out on defense anyway. Um, the offense has been good. Pitt has, you know, to their credit, played much better in the second half of the year. Um, basically, since that loss to Virginia Tech, they've really turned things around. Obviously, getting the huge upset in Death Valley helps, and they've been playing with confidence ever since. And a lot of that is due to Pat Narduzzi and the energy that he brings, but they're going to have to figure something out on defense. There's a weird trend right now. He's, he's not the only one in the conference right now that is a head coach with a certain specialty that his team has, like, an opposite specialty. I, I don't know how Pitt, with a you know defensive-minded head coach, has kind of a garbage defense. Just like I don't know how Boston College, with an offensive-minded coach, has a garbage offense. Like, I don't I don't really get that. They're bowl eligible, by the way. Oh yeah, not yet, not yet. We'll get there. We have spared some time to talk about this. Sadly. Moving on, Mike. Uh, yeah, Pitt's Pitt's seventy-six, Syracuse sixty-one. God, that is so weird to say. Uh, real quick here, uh, your Virginia Tech Hokies just continued a uh, tradition unlike any other, and they smoked Virginia in this game, 52-10. to 10. Uh, How many wins in a row is this now for Virginia Tech over uh, Virginia in the Commonwealth Cup? It's 13 straight. Virginia Tech has not lost to Virginia since the 2003 season when I was in the fifth grade. Wow. Man, uh, we're, we're seriously approaching... Uh, driving age of people born since that happened that is wild yeah it is um yeah just virginia was bad matt johns four of ten 17 yards two picks i can't believe that i I just uttered those words 1.7 yards per attempt yeah that was bad kurt benker came in nine of 26 122 yards and a touchdown pass okay i mean that's that's fine it was in garbage time smoke mizell 113 yards Probably should have given him the ball more. Um, Virginia, yeah, Virginia just wanted to run the ball and get the hell out of there. I mean, that game was over in a hurry. Freaking bloodbath in the second and third quarter. Virginia Tech actually only led 7 nothing after one. And then in the second and third quarters, they outscored Virginia 45 to nothing. Um, and route to the three. Yeah. Um, and then took, you know, took the day off in the fourth quarter. It was... It was absurd. Uh, Gerard Evans, 253, two touchdowns. Sam Rogers, huge day on the ground. We were talking about who's going to replace the production at running back because, you know, we talked about Marshawn Williams getting hurt from Virginia Tech. He was obviously going to miss the rest of the year. So who are they going to stick in there? They had uh, a couple different running backs they were going to go to, but Sam Rogers on senior day had his best offensive output of his career, 105 yards rushing, two touchdowns on the ground. He had two catches for 29 yards uh, in the passing game. And, you know, overall, it was it was just a rout. I mean, uh, you know, a nice game by all the receivers. Uh, Cam Phillips, six catches, 87 yards, a touchdown. Bucky Hodges, four catches, 69 yards, and a touchdown. Trayvon McMillan had a 31-yard touchdown catch. Um, Isaiah Ford, four catches, 68 yards in this game as well. Defense played well, um, obviously forcing the two interceptions. I don't know. I mean, it was it was a wild game. Andrew Matuapuaka ran a ran a fumble back. Um, Virginia just did everything in their power to lose this game. There's not really much else to say about it. Virginia Tech won this game essentially in their sleep, and Virginia kept shooting themselves in the foot. And Virginia Tech just continued to take advantage and just thrash Virginia again. 
I mean, it just keeps happening. As you mentioned, Mike, it was a close game, 7 nothing, uh, going into the second quarter, and that was when three really long Virginia Tech drives just totally broke the will of the Virginia defense. Ten plays, 99 yards, touchdown. Six plays, 69 yards, touchdown. Ten plays, 67 yards, touchdown. Meanwhile, in between, Virginia went three plays, eight yards, punt. Three plays, five yards, punt. And then shortly afterwards, they went six plays, 42 yards, interception. And and you just have to think that it's entirely reasonable that Virginia got to halftime and said, screw this, we're out of here. Like, it's 28 to nothing in a game that we haven't won in over a decade. Uh, and, you know, rivalry be damned. We I don't know that we can do this at this point. It's been a long year, so... Curious to see what they do in the offseason. Uh, a lot of rebuilding to do if you're uh, Bronco Mendenhall up there, kind of shaping that program further and what he wants to do with it. So yeah, I think this is – sorry? I said if he has another two in ten year, he'll be rebuilding his house out in Utah because he'll be spending a lot of time back out there. That is a valid point. Um, yeah, this isn't going to buy you a whole lot of goodwill, even at a program that hasn't really been great lately like Virginia. So big win for Virginia Tech. Hokies 52, Virginia 10. The streak continues. Moving on, Mike, uh, another big win for a team in the ACC, this time over an SEC opponent. Clemson 56, South Carolina 7. Uh, this one was just a total rout, and it seems like the loss to Pittsburgh has really woken up Clemson uh, as they have now thrashed Wake and South Carolina in consecutive weeks, and they seem to be playing about as well as we've seen them play all year, maybe since uh, since last season. Yeah, I mean, you could sit here and say, okay, well, look who they're playing. And, you know, valid point, because Wake and South Carolina, two opponents that obviously um, don't nearly match the caliber of a Florida State or a Louisville that Clemson faced earlier in the year. But it seems like Clemson is really starting to hit their stride, especially offensively. Playing two bad teams will do that. But I just think they're executing better. Um, Deshaun Watson, specifically on deeper throws, um, was impressive. He he made a couple big time throws to Mike Williams in this game. Mike Williams was an absolute freak in the first half. I mean, he went up, caught that that first touchdown, uh, made, made a crazy catch in the back of the end zone um, on a deep ball by Watson. He had six catches for 100 yards, three scores. Artavis Scott, another really nice game, 77 yards receiving and a touchdown. Um, Jordan Leggett. He's continued his fantastic season at tight end for Clemson, and he's been a threat in the passing game continuously week after week, 58 yards receiving and a touchdown on three catches. Yeah, I mean, South Carolina really couldn't get much going. I mean, they were starting a true freshman at quarterback in Jake Bentley, who, to his credit, has had a really nice season, but you could kind of tell right from the get-go there at Death Valley that Jake Bentley was a little bit overwhelmed by what he was getting himself into there uh, with all those screaming fans and, of course, Clemson hitting on all cylinders really early in the game. South Carolina was just in a hole. They went three and out, I believe, on four out of their first five possessions, and it was all downhill from there uh, for South Carolina. So big win for Clemson. Not much to see here. You move on to the ACC championship where you take on Virginia Tech to look to solidify your spot in the college football playoff. Yep, 35 nothing at halftime for Clemson, and it just they just continue to roll from there. 56-7, to seven, the final score. Uh, as you mentioned, they're looking really good lately, especially on offense, and uh, – they're peaking at the right time. So interesting matchup this weekend against Virginia Tech. But, again, we'll talk more about that this week. 56-7 uh, to 7 Clemson winners. Let's move on, Mike. Miami, 40, Duke, 21. I, uh, this was a close game for a little while. 16-14 Miami at halftime. Uh, and Duke, honestly, kind of had this game uh, 
made it a game really in the first half. Uh, Miami kicks a field goal just before halftime to take a two-point lead. Uh, and then at some point, Brad Kai just drops in a 76-yard touchdown to David Njoku, and uh, the, the route was on. They kind of pulled away from there. It goes from 14-13 Duke all the way to 40-14 to Miami uh, in the second half. So uh, a big win there. Brad Kaya, 22-35 for 396 and four touchdowns. That's pretty good. It's one of his better outputs of the, of the year. And against yep. what we've said is a pretty good Duke defense. Uh, Daniel Jones, 34-50 for 316 and three touchdowns. You kind of would have expected a little better from the Miami defense than that, but uh, certainly a lot of that came later in the game. So... Overall, just a solid win by Miami, a game that was a little dangerous for a little while, but uh, really they just took control after halftime and uh, and never really left it in doubt after that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you hit the nail on the head. Brad Kaya, one of his better games all year. Um, the one pass to Njoku, obviously Njoku, two catches for what was it, 140 yards, 134 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, Miami was off and running the second half as soon as that happened. Um, Duke, to their credit, did hang around. I was just really impressed with Brad Kaya. This is the first time all year, honestly, where I've looked at Brad Kaya in a game and I've said, wow, he looks really comfortable in the pocket, which is pretty amazing to say because the offensive line's been bad, but it's hasn't been nearly as bad as it's been. And he had a clean pocket, and he looked confident throwing the football for the first time in a while. And if you're a Miami fan, that's a welcome sight, especially for a guy who will likely be back for his senior year, I think, with how this season's going. I mean, we'll have to see, obviously. But if you get that Brad Kaya, which is, I think, the Brad Kaya they were hoping to get throughout the majority of the year, Miami's going to be in really, really good shape, not only in the bowl game, but hanging into next season if he decides to stick around. Yep. And I think he will. I think there's reason for him, too. I think he can kind of uh, improve himself a little bit and improve his draft stock, especially a year that has had some pretty strong quarterback play, especially in the ACC, so... Uh, good one for Miami, 40-21 to over the Blue Devils. And finally among conference matchups, Mike. We promised we would talk about it. Boston College is bowl eligible. I the can't Boston believe College, it. The Boston College Eagles, 17. The Wake Forest Steeman Deacons, 14. Um, would you like to guess who threw 33 passes in this game? It's the only stat that matters, and that was John Walford. Freaking John Walford, 16-33 for 137, two touchdowns, but more importantly, two picks. And uh, Boston College took advantage. Legitimately, the only stat that matters is that John Walford threw the ball 33 times. Anytime he throws the ball more than 15 times in a game, Wake Forest is probably in trouble. And that's just the state of the quarterback position for them right now. It's the reason why Kendall Hinton was the starter before he got hurt early in the year. Um, you can't trust John Walford with the football. He turns it over constantly, especially when he's throwing the ball more than 10 or 15 times a game. Um, the more he puts it in the air, the more he turns it over, and that's obviously what did them in on Saturday. I cannot believe that Boston College is bowl eligible. Perhaps more importantly is the fact that, uh, look, Steve Adazio probably keeping his job at BC. It's a second straight bowl game. They have one of the worst offenses in the entire country, but they – I don't know. They've they've just find a way to win. I can't believe I'm saying that. They have six wins, Joey. Uh, they're going to a bowl game. I don't know. I mean, I don't I think... Don't I don't understand these dudes, Mike. It's pretty safe to say... <laughs> nice. It's pretty safe to say that, um, that BC is 
probably going to be one of the worst, if not the worst, team in a bowl game this year. I mean, we'll have to see how it all shakes out um, once the teams start accepting their invites to bowls here um, over the next week and a half or so. But I'd be hard-pressed to find a team worse than BC, honestly. I mean, there, there are some bad football teams making bowl games, but this is a terrible offense. Like, I just can't, I can't imagine you know, even three or four teams in the entire bowl season being worse than BC making a making a game and even winning a bowl. I mean it's it's crazy to think about. Mm. Boston College won this game with hundred and sixty seven yards of offense. And you want to know what the difference was, honestly, Mike? Opening drive, Wake Forest three plays, two yards and a punt. But when they punt, Boston College fumbles the ball Wake Forest gets the ball back. So then, on uh, second down and 25 after a penalty, John Wolford throws an interception. Boston College, four plays, seven yards, field goal. They got a, basically a free field goal after uh, an interception thrown by John Wolford. So, I mean, we could literally just say, I mean, this was on poor play calling. This is on poor decisions. Um, I mean, you're right. I mean, <laughs> Boston College, I, I don't know how they've done it. I mean, I, I think one of the things you could look at is their out-of-conference schedule is pretty uh, pretty pedestrian. Uh, UMass, Wagner, Buffalo, that's an FCS team and two pretty, pretty exceptionally bad FBS teams, and UConn. And UConn's not particularly good either. Um, and then they pulled out one just, you know, by the skin of their teeth, win over NC State somehow, and it went over Wake Forest. I mean, I I don't know how they did it, but somehow, uh, yeah, Boston College going bowling, and uh, I, I don't – I think the reason that I'm frustrated over this is I feel like this is not a team that is good enough, that it's really proven anything to us. Um, and, and in particular, Steve Adazio, as you mentioned, like this team has not really gotten better under his watch – and, and I feel like they would be much better served to find someone else to be the coach there. It's just you can't really rely on winning games by getting 167 yards of offense. I mean, Wake Forest outpassed them and outrushed them and ended up with over 100 yards more of offense, but they turned the ball over three times, and that's how Boston College wins here. And that's just, that's just frustrating. <laughs> I, and, and they do it every week. I just, I don't know. It's uh, it's frustrating. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think they, they definitely need to figure out something on offense. I mean, will they get rid of Scott Leffler after one year? I mean, I think they have to consider it. And their offense was better than last year, I guess. I mean, it's not exactly a uh, tall task when you were one of the worst offenses in college football a year ago. But, man, I mean, I just can't believe they, they have no playmakers. And they have six wins. I just... I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to sit there and dissect, and we can talk to somebody who knows about BC a lot better than we do, Dan Rubin, um, <laughs> and have him try to explain it better than we can. Because I don't want to go back through and take a look at it because BC just makes me sick. I can't believe they have six wins. Hey, I'm all in on a Boston College eligibility postmortem with Dan Rubin. Yep. I think that would be very interesting to uh, to dissect. Uh, but yeah, Boston College 17, Wake Forest 14. Wake Forest, you, you messed that up for us. That's on you. Um, fair to say that the, uh, the hype train has come to a 
grinding, halting stop here. Yeah, the hype train derailed. Yeah. Somewhere around well, Chestnut Hill. Yeah. Also known as also known as Winston Salem. Oh gosh. Uh, yeah, Mike, you said you know that Boston College ball eligible with no playmakers. It kind of makes me feel bad for teams that are not ball eligible but do have playmakers, such as our last game here, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. <laughs> nice uh, segue. Yeah, nailed it. Um, yeah, so USC 45, Notre Dame 27. The Trojans officially put Notre Dame out of their misery. Uh, this game, I mean, it was close for a little bit, kind of at the start, but... Adoree really, Jackson happened. Adoree Jackson, he is... Man, he's something else. He's real good. Um, <laughs> he led the team... He led USC with 52 receiving yards on one catch that went for a touchdown. Um yeah, Sam Darnold's been really good for the Trojans. Uh, this is just kind of a steady beatdown for USC. Um, basically, the teams traded, you know, traded off at the, at the beginning. USC kicks a field goal. Notre Dame scores a touchdown. From there, uh, it went out to twenty-four-seven at halftime as Southern Cal lead, and it ended up forty-five twenty-seven. Um, Yes, really some soul-searching needs to happen in South Bend this, this offseason here, Mike. Uh, as you've mentioned several times, hard to think that Deshaun Kaiser's coming back. Hard to think that Malik is coming back. Malik Zaire is actually transferring. Just saw it across the bottom line. Their Notre Dame is granting his release, I guess, well, if you're listening to his podcast on Wednesday today. so. Well, there you go. Goodbye, Malik uh, Zaire. Breaking news here on the podcast. Yeah. That's some value. That's good. Breaking news for this uh, on-demand audio. That's right. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, not short for talent, but really short for results right now. They, they've got some work to do on that defense that did get better towards the end of the year, but really has to be better uh, th- than they were. And uh, and they just got steamrolled by USC here, Mike. Yeah. Uh, Adore Jackson almost beat Notre Dame by himself. Um, he had a... 55-yard punt return in the second quarter uh, to make it 17-7 USC. He had a 52-yard touchdown reception, as you alluded to, in the third quarter, and then he had a 97-yard kickoff return late in the third quarter. Um, So a punt return, a kick return, a long touchdown reception, plus all the plays that he makes on defense. The guy is not talked about as much as Jabril Peppers because he doesn't line up behind center and doesn't do all the crazy things Jabril Peppers does, but they try to get him the ball as much as they can, um, at least in special teams game and the offensive game. For Adore Jackson, isn't always there. I mean, he's not always playing a ton of offense, but he's one of the best athletes in the country. He was a guy that was kind of a dark horse for the Heisman, and then USC obviously came out to a stumbling start there uh, in September, having those three losses that they had out of the gate that really kind of... um, ended his Heisman hopes, but he's a big-time player and a guy that has a chance to be a real impact guy at the next level. So, yeah, um, Notre Dame, to your, to your point, has some work to do, some rumors about Brian Kelly maybe looking elsewhere. I'm not sure how much stock I put into that because, I mean, if you have all the resources you have at Notre Dame, I mean, I think the only place Brian Kelly could possibly be looking, especially when considering the college openings right now, Texas, of course, being filled up by Tom Herman, LSU keeping Ed Orgeron, Baylor's open, um, if you want to go into that death trap. Um, Oregon just opened up this evening as we record. Mark Helfrich was let go, but 
you have as many resources at Notre Dame as you do at Oregon with all the money that both of those schools have. So I guess that's pretty much a lateral move if you just want out of South Bend. So the only guess in my mind is maybe Brian Kelly's evaluating his options to potentially become an NFL coach. Um, he was in the mix for the Eagles job a few years back when Chip Kelly got it. So we haven't really heard much about Brian Kelly leaving since then, mostly because he had a couple of successful seasons in a row in South Bend. But now you, you know, a little bit of turbulence here uh, this year, um, having an up and down season that they had, mostly down, but they had some bright spots, um, like the win against a bad Miami team. I don't know, the bad Miami team at the time anyway. But yeah, four and eight season at Notre Dame's not going to get the job done. Brian Kelly will obviously start next season on the hot seat if he's the one leading Notre Dame out of the tunnel. Um, in the opener next year, but either way, yeah, Notre Dame has some work to do, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and they're going to have to replace their starting quarterback as well because Zaire is transferring, and it looks like Kaiser's going to be moving on to the NFL if he's smart. I mean, I think he's going to be one of the top picks, so why wouldn't you? Whew. Rough times at Notre Dame. Nothing that really makes a lot of people around the country too upset. Absolutely <laughs> seems not. To, seems to be a... Uh, a uh, I don't know. A uh, you love them or you hate them. Yeah, you yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, either you're a Notre Dame fan or you kind of might hate Notre Dame. Um, yeah, I was gonna say like a bug lamp for kind of some hatred. They uh, they like to attract some hatred to them. So, in any case, uh, USC forty five, Notre Dame twenty seven, and that does it, Mike, for the uh, regular season. We got to do two more things before we get out of here, real quick. The uh, the Go ACC moment of the week. We had talked about it already. Um, this was the one blemish in the ACC's slate against SEC teams this weekend. Uh, the Louisville Cardinals rolling down into the red zone, ready to either score a touchdown or kick a field goal, win the game. And uh, they felt like the ball was safe in the hands of their Heisman-winning quarterback, or their not-yet-Heisman-winning quarterback, but uh, Heisman-favorite quarterback. And uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. Lamar Jackson fumbles on about the 10-yard line and enables Kentucky to uh, drive the field, kick a field goal, and win the game. Damn. Go ACC to that, Louisville. Yeah, we saw Louisville driving down the field there, and then I think we all thought we knew what was going to happen and then ended up being the complete opposite. Obviously, crucial turnover by Lamar Jackson. We don't see a lot of those very often, but we've seen it more often the last two weeks than we have all season. So Lamar Jackson... You know, right when he had the Heisman locked up, is now trying to open it back up. Too bad he has no real competition this year, or else it would be really, really interesting here throughout December uh, with championship week and then all the hype leading up to the Heisman ceremony here a couple Saturdays from now. Yeah, Louisville really kind of showing us lately what uh, what it means when you've got one really great player and a whole bunch of guys that maybe aren't as good as they need to be to help him out. Um yeah, one rough moment for Lamar Jackson. Felt like we couldn't pass that up to give him the Go ACC moment of the week. And then, of course, Mike, the uh, Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award this week goes to uh, a couple teams who, in in the name of Brian Van Gorder, were not playing defense. And that's the Pitt Panthers and the uh, Syracuse Orange. As they put up a uh, just an ungodly amount of not defense in this game, uh, setting an FBS record, as you mentioned, for number of points in a regulation football game. Really just a poor... How do you let Zach Mahoney... Zach Mahoney going for 445... Like, good grief, Pittsburgh. Be better. And Syracuse, like, 
You're at home. Make tackles or, you know, get sacks or do something. Like Defense and, was just, yeah, defense was just completely optional in this game. I, you know, I wish I had a better explanation for it. I just don't. The defenses were just so, so bad. I just don't get it. Um, and I guess the same goes for Steve Adazio's situation at BC. For being offensive coordinator at Florida with Tim Tebow, that helps, by the way. But being an offensive coordinator of one of the best offenses in college football and then going to BC where your offense is so historically bad, and then you have the same situation with Pat Narduzzi. You have all these great defenses at Michigan State. You go to Pittsburgh, your defenses suck. You give 61 points to a backup. Um, and not for a lack of talent on that defense either. No. I, I mean, Jordan Whitehead is, I mean, he's out, but they got a really talented team. I mean, they. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. They got a lot of playmakers, but don't make a lot of plays. So, how's that for an enigma? Gosh. I need to look up here what uh what Pittsburgh does defensively on a yards per play basis. Uh, and Suck. they come in. Let's find this real quick. Here they are. They're ninety first nationally. Uh, just over six play six yards per play. That's not good. Not good, Bob. Not, not good. Not, not good, Bob. Um yeah, good grief. Yeah, so Syracuse and Pitt defenses, you guys tried and uh, you really need to try harder next time because that was not getting it done. Not good. Yeah. Not good well, they'll try. Uh, they'll try again in the bowl game. Maybe. Uh, maybe get right. Syracuse, your defense can try again. Maybe next year. <laughs> they'll try again in the spring game. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Zach Mahoney might shred you then too. You know, you get the. I mean, you deal with them scout team all year. I mean. God, I mean, sign me up God. for some Zach Mahoney shredding people in the spring game. Yep, sign me up. That game will be televised on, like, AMC or something. Oh, I'm all in. All that in Lifetime on that channel. Life, <laughs> lifetime. <laughs> yeah, on Spike. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Well, we'll opposites. get there eventually. Oh, boy. All right, Mike, this has been fun, uh, if a little delayed. But uh, glad we got this in. Hopefully you guys are still interested in listening. It's not like a whole bunch of you guys have teams playing this weekend anyways. Or stuff to do, either. Exactly. You're kind of waiting around on this. Um, We will be back a little later this week. I don't know when it'll be yet. We're we're still kind of working out the scheduling here. Uh, To preview the ACC championship game this coming weekend in Orlando between the Clemson Tigers and Mike, your Virginia Tech Hokies. Yes, sir. Looking forward to that. That'll be fun. We're also going to talk about the all-ACC teams and maybe some of what we would do to change those. So uh, tune back in later this week. Yep. We'll be we'll be all in on that. Be a good time. <laughs> all in. All in. Isn't that what Clemson says? Should you be saying that this week? Absolutely not. That That is what they say, but I should not be saying that. All in. Such I'm all in. I'm all in on them not showing up to play, but. <laughs> Whatever it, it takes. Whatever it takes, yep. All right. Well, Mike, uh, we will we'll talk then, and uh, I guess get some sleep. I some need sleep. it. I need it desperately. <laughs> Thank you. Rough week. All right, talk to you guys then. Uh, until then, you guys can reach us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Send us your email. Send us your emails with questions and comments and concerns and feedback and whatever else. Uh, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com stuttered a little bit on that one i'll get it better that's all right uh, <laughs> you almost nailed it 
Yeah, you can uh, you can subscribe on iTunes and on Google Play uh, and leave us reviews and, and rate us and do all these nice things. Uh, we promise to give you shout outs if you uh, if you do, and that can go for whether you like us or hate us. Again, we're still looking for haters. But uh, Mike, until we preview the uh, ACC championship here a little later this week, uh, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Go ACC.